the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. I, um, I got an interesting email the other day, and it said, Seth, I heard you say about a recent monologue, if you were to select a few, it would be one of the most important in your own estimation that you think express, you know, your heart and soul politically or culturally. You know, there's probably five or six monologues I just think, you know, are, are that. I don't remember them all. I said, what are they? Could I could I get a list? I I, I feel badly. I, I probably could go through them and do that. But today's might be one of them as well. Today's might be one of them as well. So if you missed it, you can always get them at YouTube. YouTube.com. Just in that search uh, bar, put uh, 960 The Patriot. Hit subscribe. It's all free and it's all there. You can also go to 960ThePatriot.com. I was interested in what Maggie said because I it, it it's I, I scanned it last night. It scanned across my my ears, head, and brain and and eyes last night when Joe Biden said it. And I didn't I I meant to think about it a little more than I than I have, but I'm glad uh, Maggie uh, brought it up. And it's this notion that, as Joe Biden said last night, white supremacists are the most lethal terrorist threat to the United States. Um, After speaking about jihadists, he said this. After speaking about Afghanistan jihadists, he said this. White supremacy is the... um, is the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. Then I heard, uh, I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, something Dennis Prager said this morning. And he said, when you compare, Bill, did you catch Dennis today? When you compare white supremacy efforts in this country versus left-wing Antifa, BLM violence and riots, um, what's the ratio? Well, he pro- he projected five hundred to one. I don't know that we know this um, answer, but it's that it's on a scale of five hundred to a thousand to one. It's in that it's in that scale. Um, you know, the riots of last summer um, led to at least twenty five deaths, at least. One and a half billion dollars in property damage. Never mind all the injuries. Um, none, none of that, none of that can be attributed to white supremacy. John Hinderocker writes: Last night, Joe Biden repeated the absurd claim. Repeated the absurd claim that, according to our own intelligence agencies. White supremacists are our number one terrorist threat. Let me know when white supremacists burn down a city or two. 
Until then, I'm going to stick with my answer of Antifa. And then he encloses an Antifa video I had not seen before. It's pretty chilling. It's a um, speaker wearing uh, a mask from one of those uh, horror movies. Which one would it be? Scream or something? Looks like that kind of a kind of a, a ghost mask. Makes the person all the more frightening when they wear a mask. What is that about? Anything that hides your face makes you more frightening. So maybe we should mask all of society? Okay. Anyway, this man is wearing a mask not ordained or ordered by the CDC. Mask of his own mental illness, I guess. It's weird. But listen to him. This Antifa video describes the far-left movement in honest, that is to say, openly terrorist terms. It includes a threat to kill Ted Wheeler, the hapless left-wing mayor of Portland, and helpfully includes his home address. Um, if you want to know what a terrorist threat is, listen to this. Hello. We come to you as a small collective from within the anarchist and anti-fascist community. Do not speak for the whole, as each individual may carry different ideologies and beliefs about how things could, should, or will be accomplished. We hope with this message to simply convey a few points that are commonly agreed upon within this community. The mayor of this city is undeserving of his position. He has made it abundantly clear that windows to him are more important than human lives. But we are not just challenging the idea of having Ted as a mayor. We are challenging the idea of having mayors at all. We want abolition. Abolition is absolute. If peaceful marches, speeches, and voting were enough to bring about that goal, then we would have already been there. Window smashing and riots are a necessary escalation when those in power have proven that they are unwilling to listen and have made the choice to ignore you. We are moving with a sense of urgency because not only is the system destroying us, it's destroying the very planet that we live on. This movement encompasses the liberation of all those oppressed by the system, whether it be black, indigenous, Hispanic, etc. Nobody owns this movement, and wanting to or trying to claim ownership of this movement just leads to more division, which is counterproductive to all of our goals. We are on the same side, though. And the more time we spend fighting each other, the less energy we have to fight the true enemy. So let's start local with our own city's failed leadership. Ted, we are asking for the last time that you resign. If you ignore this message outright, the destruction to your precious way of life is going to escalate. Blood is already on your hands, Ted. But next time, it may just be your own. Wow. Wow. That is a terrorist threat. I know of no white supremacist organization in America that has done that with a political leader. That is a terrorist threat. You know what adds irony to this? Last night, Joe Biden did this thing I just hate. It's, it's maybe not the biggest deal, but over and over again, it perhaps shapes a cultural way, way of thinking that we need, to, um, we need to disenthrall ourselves of. And it's when he says um, – when. When Joe Biden last night said America is an idea, he said America is an idea, the most unique idea in history. We are created, all of us equal. It is who we are and we cannot walk away from that principle and in fact say we are dealing 
with the American idea. What is he talking about? His entire movement has been pushing the idea that 1619 is our founding, not 1776, where we get the notion that we are created equal. What is he talking about? The most unique idea in history? Which one, Joe? 1776 or 1619? Sounds like you're coming down on 1776. And yet you got rid of the 1776 commission because of its disassemblage of the 1619 project. Hour one of your presidency. But this notion that America is an idea, it's been said forever. Um, and it's not quite right. It's not quite right. There is an idea or set of ideas, moral principles, as Abraham Lincoln called them, that we were founded upon to be sure. But the ideas themselves, like reservations for a car, mean nothing if you don't hold on to them because this country is not just an idea. It's a people trying to govern itself based on those ideas which you have told us are rotten, which you have told us are false, which you have told us are lies. But you have told us we cannot stand up – well, others are to be more respected for not standing up during anthems that celebrated at sporting events. What's this notion of trying to preserve an idea you've destroyed? You can't put a genie back in a bottle you've broken. But you know what's ironic about it is that's what they've also called Antifa, an idea. Isn't that kind of interesting? Antifa isn't real. It's an idea. Just like America is an idea. It's all a little too much to take, this revisionism in real time, isn't it? We'll be right back. 602508 0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602508 0960. I um, wasn't sure if I wanted to even do much on the annual message to Congress that Joe Biden delivered last night, because I figured by the time I get here, everyone will have done it. But a lot of you said they wanted my thoughts. And it turns out there's a lot to talk about here. And the Tim Scott part of it is just the response. What took place in the four corners of Joe Biden's speech was um, has occupied has occupied nearly most of this show. It's what Joe Biden said that has occupied most of the show. I don't want us to lose the focus, however, on how the left reacted to Tim Scott and how Twitter enabled them by letting Uncle Tim, as a phrase, trend. Twitter didn't need to do that. Um, and it's not really reported in the mainstream media. I'll guarantee you, as I said in my monologue, if conservatives or right-wingers or Republicans made a thing of Kamala Harris and her race, so much so that it was going to trend on Twitter, 
or did trend on Twitter? Not just be covered in the newspapers. It'd be covered by every newspaper and every cable and network news story. It'd be the lead. And I call it the dog that doesn't bark, but you don't see stories like that because we conservatives actually don't think that way. We don't think very much of Kamala Harris's race or gender. We have zero problem with people being whatever race or gender they are so long as we agree with or share their values. Do you think there are Republicans that resented that Carly Fiorina was running for Senate in California for Republicans? No, of course not. No one cared on our side that she was a woman. No one cared. As far as African-American Republicans running in California, there haven't been many in a while. I remember when Bill Allen, African-American, a scholar in Claremont, ran for Senate. No one cared about his race. Not Republicans, anyway. Not Republicans. It's not the way we think. They think we think that way. They're the ones that think that way. It's really a case of political and psychological projection. As for her race and gender, we don't care because it's nothing she had anything responsible. And it's not anything she had any responsibility for. It's just irrelevant to us. And yet, the funny thing is from the left and the journalists is that we, the conservatives, are the racists and defenders of systemic racism. We don't care. You do. You do. There is this story about Senator Scott and the leftist racist reaction to him. He triggers it in the left because the left does see skin color all the time as meaningful and important. The left, which is obsessed with race and thinking race dictates thought, will tell you that America is racist and the conservative movement is racist and that the conservative notion of making America great again is racist and is pining for a time when Jim Crow stalked the land. They tell us we're systematically and endemically, that is to say naturally born racists. Um, what they never tell us if it, tell us is, if we're born with it, how do you get rid of it? Well, they do tell us in a way, don't they, that we have to start teaching children about race in preschool and kindergarten. But that teaching, if you look at those curriculums, that teaching is to teach children that race matters and race is important. Almost as if maybe it isn't intrinsic and endemic in a human being. They have to be taught it. Well, of course they have to be taught it because children aren't born endemically and intrinsically racist. They think race determines thought, character, and soul. We don't. And so, when they label and libel us as the racists in this country, and you see that Uncle Tim as a phrase is what's stalking and trending on Twitter for 11 hours, and that Twitter allowed it to go on, 
you know you're dealing with either frauds or seriously psychologically disturbed people or or true racists. And I think they are true racists. I was I was talking in my monologue about uh, the connection between Jewish people and the civil rights work in the 50s and 60s here in America, although one could take it back really to the 1800s. But nonetheless, once, once the civil rights movement took off under the leadership of Martin Luther King and Thurgood Marshall at the NAACP in the 50s, the Jewish community in America rallied towards it. And perhaps the most famous spokesman of it was one of the most famous rabbis in America. His name was Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he said when he met Martin Luther King, he said, quote, Few of us realize that racism is man's greatest threat to man. The maximum of hatred for a minimum of reason, the maximum of cruelty for a minimum of thinking. But to think of a man in terms of white, black, or yellow is more than an error. It is a cancer of the soul. It is a deadly poison that inflames, making us see the generality of race but not the uniqueness of the human face. Pigmentation is what counts. And what we need is an NAAAP, a National Association for the Advancement of All People, to eradicate race as a comprehensive doctrine in America. That was Joshua Heschel working with Martin Luther King. And the left has just thrown all of that out and done an entire 180 and pushes race and pigmentation importance on us all the time. Pigmentation importance. There's vaccine hesitancy and there's pigmentation importance, I guess. I'm going to write that down. Pigmentation importance. I think it's a better phrase. I'm glad the rabbi used it. And I'll tell you why. Pigmentation importance, it conveys just exactly how ridiculous the left sees things the way they do. Pigmentation, that's what they care about. That's fine. We'll continue to care about souls. We'll compare, continue to care about humans. We'll compare, continue to care about truth. And unlike the rest of Joe Biden's conjurie of supporters, yeah, we'll elevate 1776 over 1619. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As I said, the Tim Scott story of last night is its own thing. The message itself of Joe Biden is one not to be lost, and Paul Mirangoff does a nice job of breaking it down. Philip Klein exposes Biden's falsehood regarding health care. Biden claimed that giving Medicare the power to negotiate lower prices for prescription drugs will strengthen the ACA, the, the uh, Obamacare Act, without costing taxpayers as he said, one additional penny. That's nonsense. 
Klein points out that the Congressional Budget Office has twice twice concluded that providing broad negotiating authority by itself would have a negligible effect on federal spending. Yet Biden claimed that the supposed savings would be enough to pay for an Obamacare expansion that would cost $200 billion, according to his fact sheet released earlier in the day. David Harsanyi, who I quoted earlier and is on frequently, debunked Biden on guns. Biden tried to persuade his audience that gun violence has exploded due to the expiration of the assault weapons ban. In fact, as Harsani puts it, quote, the rate of gun homicide continued falling for more than a decade after the ban ended, even though gun ownership exploded. How do you like that? Ownership explodes, homicides decline. Indeed, from 2006, overall homicides fell 10 out of the 14 years. And 21 years after a gun violence peak in 1993 and a decade after the assault weapons ban ended, homicides by firearm hit a historic low. That would be until last year. Not because of guns because of the war on cops. Kevin Williamson went after Joe Biden's you didn't build that riff. His assertion that, quote, Wall Street didn't build this country, the middle class built this country, and unions built the middle class. It's too metaphorical, really, to be a lie, but it's not honest. Wall Street obviously had a huge part in financing this country, just as the middle class had a huge part, union and non-union, in building it. As Williamson says, if you think investment didn't build this country, and in many cases literally, then you are very possibly a doddering old doofus who was never very bright to begin with. Or a past his sell-by-date demagogue, recycling the baloney of the first-rate demagogue he once worked for. Given how much of the middle class wealth takes the form of equity in real estate along with stocks held in retirement accounts, how central the financial services industry has been in making infrastructure and building happen, and how few private sector and how few private sector workers belong to a union, I think Wall Street has a better claim to having built the middle class than unions do. I think that's right. I think Wall Street has a much better claim to having built the middle class than unions do. Here's an easy test. If you have a business idea or a corporate idea or an inventive idea or a concept for opening a store or a restaurant or some kind of professional service, or incorporating as a small business is the first thing you think of, is the second thing you think of, is the third, fourth, fifth, 80th thing you think of, what union do I need to call? Or is it, how do I get the financing? It's obviously the second. It's obviously the second. Look, I, um, my first job was in manual labor, and I have uh, great respect, obviously, 
for people who engage in any kind of work, any kind of work, union or non-union, anyone who's working productively and doing the work of their family and their country and their community. Uh, look, I, I, I just, it's like Jack Kemp said, I cry at the 4th of July and I cry when a store opens. I do. I believe in this stuff and I love the stories they create and the opportunities they build and the hope and belief in America. It all engenders. But to pit Americans, again, against each other as if we're bourgeois versus proletariat, well, I mean, there's a reason that this is signature Biden stuff, folks. Because it's signature Karl Marx stuff. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're tired of the power increases that the utility companies keep giving you and you're worried about the heat this summer, don't suffer through another summer of astronomical power bills or having to keep your house warm because you're afraid of your power bills being too high. Reach out to my friend Solar Sandy, who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona and has actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill by going solar with her. If you sign up with solar, Sandy, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year. And you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. If you think Washington spending is a mess and corrupt, wait till the power companies are done with us. Don't go with them. If you're interested in solar, it's important you do it right and the right way. And Solar Sandy is the right way. Just look at the customer testimonials at AskSolarSandy.com. They're amazing. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com and let Sandy do all the work. Or call 623-850-8229. That's 623-850-8229. Or again, that's AskSolarSandy.com. She's a good friend. Tell her I said hi. You aware of uh, how far and wide the brush of white supremacy is? So much so that it's taken people who believe in literature and the printed word and intellectual pursuits and study to abandon all of that. I'm talking about the publishing industry. We talk often about the unseen faces and names and employees in the tech companies and the little decisions they make here and there that have big political implications. Now think about publishing companies and all the staff there that make decisions before a book is brought out. You will recall Simon & Schuster canceled a book by Josh Hawley, a United States senator who could run for president. They had a book contract with him. They canceled it. Why? 
Why? Because he supports Trump. So Simon and Schuster, these idiots, they made a two-book deal with Mike Pence. They think that was a good idea. Well, it is a good idea. He's the former vice president and the former governor and a former member of the House of Representatives. And 200 Simon & Schuster employees, along with thousands of supporters, signed a petition to the CEO of Simon & Schuster saying that to publish Mike Pence's books would constitute, quote, complicity in perpetuating white supremacy because Mike Pence advocates, quote, for racism, sexism, and homophobia. This is not a difference of opinions. This is legitimizing bigotry, close quote. This is not a difference of opinion about Mike Pence. This is not debatable. We say he's a white supremacist. Don't come asking us for proof or evidence, the charge should stick once it's lodged because that's the way racism works and charges of white supremacy work. We charge you, you don't get to ask. Remember the BLM curricula that said at the bottom, one of the the positions we hold is that none of this should be debatable? You know, it's a funny thing about self-evident and self-evident and absolute truth, isn't it? The left doesn't believe in it unless it's something they say, and then it can't be questioned it's so true. There's no such thing as truth unless it's something they say. Mike Pence is an advocate for racism, sexism, and homophobia, and his book should be canceled. Well... So far, the CEO has stood by the decision to maintain the publication of those books, to maintain their contract with Mike Pence. Um, No one, I'm betting, no one at Simon & Schuster has had a problem with them publishing Ibram Kendi's works, which they do. In fact, they love to promote Ibram Kendi. Just last year, Simon & Schuster sent out tweet after tweet after tweet promoting Ibram Kendi's interviews about a book they published of his, stamped Racism, Anti-Racism, and You teaching kids about the complicated history of racism. Do you want Ibrahim Kendi teaching your kids about the complicated history of racism when he says things like this, quote, you can't be a capitalist and an anti-racist at the same time, close quote. When he says the only way to address racism is to use policies based on race, close quote. <laughs> You know, we we sit here and we run out of analogies and comparisons. And the reason we run out of them is when you think about those who warned us, George Orwell comes to mind first and foremost. 
when you think about those who warned us about these things, they were warnings. Warnings are fairly rare. If they weren't, they wouldn't be remembered as unique. It's not like there's a lot of George Orwells any more than there's a lot of Frederick Hayek's who warned about the economics that we're seeing today in one book published from an essay in Reader's Digest in 1945. If there were a lot of Frederick Hayek's and a lot of George Orwell's, then it would tell you that there was a lot of reasons for those kinds of guys to be worried. They were fairly unique because the worry was there, but in its infancy. Boy, I will tell you now, though. The companies that would publish Hayek? Unresolved issues segment. Uh, I did start something that I realized I didn't finish, and someone just reminded me of that, and I'm glad they did. Thank you. The fist bumping that took place last night between the president and fellow members of Congress, and I was telling you what a ridiculous thing that was. I didn't say why. The reason that handshaking is uh, discouraged by the CDC. The reason that handshaking is discouraged is because they're worried about the communication of the virus or germs from the transmission that goes on between two hands meeting. I don't know how better to describe it than that. The fist bump might be more dangerous, showing you the absurdity, the total absurdity of... um, of these exquisite, exquisite measures of empty meaning, um, especially if you're Joe Biden, because when you cough into your hand and it's a closed fist, as he always does, you're communicating to the back of your hand and the fingers that are clenched in a fist. You're putting them not in the palm of your hand. You're putting them on your fist bump. And when you wipe your nose, you know, or itch it or touch your face more times than not, do it right now if you don't believe me. You're doing it with your knuckles. You're touching your mouth and your nose with your knuckles. These people are actual scientific idiots. And they are telling us how to live our lives scientifically. Go back and read the short story on the inmates taking over the asylum. There was a reason it was written. We may be living in it. Until next time, God bless you. Class dismissed.